if you're okay and happy with your life, then you don't need to change anything. But if you're not, it's very arrogant of you to not consider opening your mind and at least trying something different. Because I know for myself, the times when I insist I know what's right. I know what's best. That's a shield because I'm actually fucking terrified because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm overcompensating. Dude, just sit, get in therapy, <laughs> address your childhood. <laughs> you don't need to be that big. You're going to die at 48. Welcome to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Griff. I'm a conscious serial entrepreneur with a passion for wealth creation, sovereignty, and natural law spirituality and consciousness, financial literacy, commerce, investing, and the game of money. I am the founder of the Level Up Collective, a conscious wealth mastermind in which I lead countless others through the process of unlearning most, if not all, of what we've been taught about the world and the game of money, and then relearning what the rules of this secretive game really are and how we can actually win at it. I was incredibly blessed to stumble across many of the secrets of the 1% at a young age. And rather than keeping it all to myself, I'm on a mission to share this information freely with as many people as I can. This podcast is going to challenge the very fabric of your reality. And at times, you may find yourself running up against some of your deepest unconscious belief systems. I encourage you to give yourself grace, keep an open mind, and never just accept what I say as fact. Always do your own research. I never want you to just assume I am telling the truth. I am not here to convince or teach you anything, but rather to reflect back and remind you of things that somewhere in your consciousness you already know. Take what resonates, discard what doesn't, and enjoy the ride. Now let's get started. When you talk about spirituality, are you talking about any particular form of spirituality? Or do you think in general, the term spirituality, because I know people practice different, they have different denominations right. and everything. Is that where we're at with, when you mention spirituality? Or are you, or are you more specifically speaking of one denomination or something? So when I use that word, I'm simply referencing a connection with something higher than yourself, whatever you deem to be your creator. And I'm specifically referencing uh, practices to help you get outside of your ego. So whatever that looks like. For some people, that's called Christianity, and they view it as an actual white male in a robe with long hair that's outside of them. For other people, they view it as this spirit inside of them. For other people, there's shrines, etc., I'm not one of those people that has the audacity to say, I'm right, you're wrong, right? Like, a lot, that's the issue we run into with a lot of religions. <laughs> I'm right, everyone else is wrong. <laughs> I think that's really naive. Once again, just study history. How many religions have there been? How many are there in existence? You can't tell me that <laughs> every single one of them thinks they're right and the others are wrong. There's something missing here. So, I've never had that perspective. Call it what you want. It doesn't need to, I don't think that that's as important as what it can and does do for you. 
So yeah, when I reference spirituality, it's almost like I'm just saying a set of tools and worldviews that allow you to be at peace, allow you to see outside of your eye construct, your ego, who's always trying to protect you, but can also really lead to you leading a, a, a limited life of fear, being able to just just like let things go, being able to heal, being able to grow, reflection, these types of things. They're missing in today's society. Yes, I agree with that. And and just going back to what you were just saying about everybody pointing at each other and saying, I'm right, you're wrong. Even if that was true, even if one of these groups was right and the rest were wrong, mm. pointing it out doesn't help anybody. No. Right? It doesn't help no, anybody. No, that does is bring bring the other party's ego out <laughs> to defend. So it's a it's a, a pointless pursuit. Yes, and that's and that's I'm glad you pointed that out. It's a waste of time. It doesn't matter how right you think you are about anything. If you keep trying to drive the conversation based upon you being the one that's right and everybody else being wrong, you will go no place. In fact, you will go backwards. So as far as leadership is concerned, knowing how to hold that back. And I guess that, again, goes to checking your ego, right? Yep. Yeah, I was I was raised very strict Christian. I was raised in the church, etc. But I I walked away from that as a teenager and rebelled hard and saw all the hypocrisy and et cetera, et cetera, and blamed uh, my parents and the church for ultimately what I came to learn is just man's flawed nature, right? So it wasn't God's fault, whatever that is. It wasn't the Bible's fault or lacking. It was the interpretations. It was the humans translate, right? So it's it always came back to that. And in the same sense as it would be very ignorant of me to think I'm right, every everyone else with any other belief is wrong. It, it was also very ignorant of me to blame whatever creator brought me into this existence for, you know, my issues with my parents and how they lived that path or my issues with the church and how they lived that path or whatever it may have been. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey for me. I've tried the whole religious thing. I don't identify as a religion, as an adult. I think it's much more important about you're connecting with the part of yourself that we all have. And it can be as simple as that. If that works for you, then go with it. If you need, like you said, the man in the white robes, uh, yeah. the word in the Bible or mm -hmm. whatever, then that that's what, but the goal is to check the ego. So that way you can move forward in a way that not only helps yourself, but it, it, it keeps you in an alignment with what is naturally good in the world. Yeah. A lot of it is about emotional and nervous system regulation. You know, you can get, you can get those things from, you know, cold immersion, breath work, yoga, the sauna, but it's not the same. Those are working on your nervous system and they are altering your physiology. But meditation is one of the only experiences where you can cease to be the personality you've been in the driver's seat of your entire life. And the first time someone has an experience like that, where they're no longer them, they're no longer all the things that you identify with. I'm a man. I'm athletic. My name's John. I live in Missouri. I have a wife and three kids. I don't like my life. All of those things you identify with go away. That is 
transformative to say the least. And I would have never, I would not be here in any capacity. I would not have a public brand. I would not be in a position of leadership if I wasn't, I mean, I've been doing those practices since for about eight years now, and they've greatly shaped who I am the opportunities I've brought into my life. I mean, even the simple question of a lot of times I get asked, like, I'm 30 now, but dude, you're 25. How do you know all this? Right. Well, because I go to deep places inside of myself and I ask deep questions and then I just ask whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, creator, my higher self, whatever the words you want to use. It's not important in my opinion. I would ask them to reveal to me the next step of this, whatever it was I was, I was kind of inquiring about or to reveal to me um, an opportunity in this realm or to bring something into my life or whatever it may be. And I mean, it happens every time without miss. So, you know, it might sound weird, but I'm only here because the creator led me here. And that's exactly how I live my life. I I'm not in the pilot seat. It's uh, I get instructions and I live them out. That's great. It, I, it, you know, it um, it relaxes you because you now you don't beat yourself up, right? For saying, well, look, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I did this. I, I could be in a better place. Why did I do that? Why did I make this decision? Instead, you're saying I'm here right now because the creator put me here and it just cuts it down to something very simple. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people though, hearing that the first time there's a, there's a rebellion to what you're saying. There's a resistance because it's saying, well, I'm not in control. Isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you deal? Now, maybe this is where you get into your level up collective. Is this, are we kind of nipping around the edges of that? Well, or what is that level up collective? So let me say this. Uh, I've mentioned a few times that I've had a a number of different online services businesses. And in every single thing I've ever done, the foundation of it is spirituality. And I didn't intend for it to be like that. As you can see, I'm not some like yogi with dreads who doesn't shower or anything like that. I'm very practical. And I think that throws people off at how I look and how I come off. And I'm teaching on, you know, making a lot of money. Hell yeah. And I think that meditation is extremely important. Ray Dalio, the, the wealthiest hedge fund manager in the world, has the most assets under management. He's one of the wealthiest people in the world. He's massive proponent of transcendental meditation. So was Steve Jobs. And so, you know, I've just been studying the 1% and I've noticed that they all have practices to get out of their own way. And so if you're listening to this and you're feeling resistance, ask yourself, are you getting the results you want in life right now? If so, then don't change anything. My advice is always and has always been for the those who are can at least be honest enough with themselves. And I know that can be hard for more manly men, whatever that means, to drop the ego. But if you're okay and happy with your life, then you don't need to change anything. But if you're not, it's very naive of you very arrogant of you to not consider opening your mind and at least trying something different. Because I know for myself, the times when I insist, I, 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 I know what's right. I know what's best. That's a shield 
because I'm actually fucking terrified because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm acting, I'm overcompensating, right? It's the 300 pound dude who's juiced to the gills. It's like, dude, just sit, get in therapy, (laughs) address your childhood. (laughs) You don't need to be that big. You're going to die at 48. (laughs) So in your level up collective, yeah, you want me to talk about that a bit? Yeah, if if you don't mind, just so people know what they could find there. Yeah, so as I shared, the Level Up Collective has been, it's basically, it's my life's work. It's all that I do now. So it grows with me and I grow very fast. I'm an unorthodox person. I have a lot of time freedom. And my number one core value in life is evolution and growth. So having said that, what the LUC is now to most people, and the, the easiest way that we explain it is it is a financial freedom mastermind. Now, I call it conscious wealth because that's the best and easiest way to explain what is different about me as a teacher and a leader versus most any, I don't know if you, you or your audience follows finance pages, but very surface level, egotistical, just Really, the content is all only about money, right? It's what this stock did or how to get a 5X on this, or it's just very surface level. It's implying at an unconscious level that all that matters in life is money. And when you get a lot of money, one of the first things you realize and one of the hardest letdowns is that it doesn't feel as good as you think. And When you sit with yourself, you find that you told yourself all these stories that the reason you were never happy in life is because you were poor. And when it finally came, now you you don't have that excuse anymore because you're not poor and you're still not happy. So that really fucks people up. That's why sometimes multimillionaires kill themselves. You see it a lot with rappers and celebrities and sometimes hedge fund managers and stuff like that. So anyway, it's important that I explain that because the spiritual component is always tied into everything that I do. Having said that, the LUC is not some spiritual program. It's just, it's it's a lens through which I teach. Hopefully that is starting to make sense now. Whatever question you ask me, it's going to have some aspect of me understanding first principles of spirituality. But what the LUC is, we help people with achieving wealth. Now, what are people's biggest issues when it comes to wealth? Well, number one, well, there's obviously the personal finance aspect of it. But outside of that, most people are in a shitload of debt, right? So we help people with debt discharge. That's where consumer law comes in. A lot of people are still in student loan debt, auto loan debt, credit card debt, bad spending habits, right? We help people clear and eliminate debt. That's life-changing for a lot of people, right? 50,000, 75,000, that's more than a lot of people make in a whole year. So eliminating that is a big deal. We also then help people once we eliminate the debt or around kind of these two are at the same time repair their credit. So a lot of people don't understand credit. They don't value credit. They don't check their credit because you know it's kind of like when you don't have money in your bank account, you don't want to look. When your FICO shit, you don't want to look because you got, you know, this collections from 7 years ago, you got a few late payments from 4 years ago, you're like fuck. So I'm just going to just not look at it. We help people clean their credit and get their credit into the 700s and then we help them optimize their credit and go through a round of funding. 
So essentially, as you can see, I'm not just some random like sovereignty guy. <laughs> this is all financial literacy, right? I've had many different mentors, some of which came from uh, the big banks and te- taught me a lot of the loopholes. And ultimately, as a package, I'll give you the bullet point list. People come into the LUC. We help them eliminate their debt. Then we help them repair their credit. Then we help them optimize their credit so they can get the most funding possible from the underwriters at the banks. Then once they get all of that credit, we teach something called manufactured spending, which is a a loophole to convert credit into cash. So imagine having a bunch of credit cards. You try to use that as cash. They're going to do what's called a cash advance fee, right? Usually that's some crazy numbers, like 24% or something they're going to charge you. So we teach how to do that for 0%, just convert it into cash. Then invest that into the right assets. Now we're thinking like the 1%, my friend. Remember when I was talking about how I've been studying the 1%? What does the 1% do? They leverage other people's money and they invest it, don't they? Do they ever use their own money? Fuck no. Fuck no. (laughs) Are they broke on paper? They don't have money. They don't use money. They borrow money and they invest it. And when they need more, (laughs) they borrow more. That's what we teach. It took me a long time to figure out how I could do that in my own way, because typically you only hear about this in real estate, right? Real estate, real estate, real estate, because it's get a loan from the bank, buy a property. But I sat with myself and I realized real estate isn't my lane. I've never owned real estate. I'd like to, but I'm just honest enough to realize that this is not my lane. I don't have the proficiency there. But what I am pretty good at is stocks, particularly options. I don't know if you know what that is, and crypto. So we apply the same principles to paper assets, which also are way more realistic for people because, you know, how many people are realistically going to be like quite successful at real estate investing? It's a lot of work. You got to be like pretty damn entrepreneurial. You're meeting with banks, underwriters, you have to be contracting your own repairmen, cleaners, all of that, right? Refinancing, like that's intimidating versus it's just like, here's how you pull the money off. Here's our recommended, you know, positions to put in and teaching, giving them an education on technical analysis, fundamental analysis, macroeconomic analysis, and all of these things that go into intelligently buying assets at the right prices and then selling them at the right prices. So that's the gist of, of what we do in a more like sequential aspect, but there's just so much that goes into it because obviously... I don't just hand people shit and they don't know what they're doing. So it's a full education because you need to understand how things work, right? The why before you can be proficient at the what. So we're not only, you know, us handholding the whole way through of getting the debt off, repairing the credit, getting the funding, pulling it off, investing it, but we're also teaching. I'm a, if you haven't noticed, <laughs> I'm, I'm a teacher. I just, I like to teach. I, I like to learn and then I like to teach it. It's a hack as well, right? As soon as you can teach something, you you learn it at a way deeper level. So this is just a beautiful life. And, you know, I, I've worked very hard and I ate shit for many years, you know, living with my mom below my means because this path meant a lot to me and I didn't want to do anything else. And I, I really like to just spend my days learning and then I practice, I apply it, I, I get some results and then I and then I teach others how I did that. Now you mentioned crypto and right now it's uh November 16th and then you know we find out a couple like 2 weeks ago or whatever FTX right yeah 
that holds mm-hmm. uh, crypto FTX. If anybody listening, you don't know what it is. It's basically a Ponzi scheme, tons of money, taxpayer dollars being rerouted out to the Ukraine. And then Zelensky, President Zelensky, investing that money in to FTX. And then FTX turns around and donates the money back to the government, which is pretty wild. And now they they're insolvent and it looked like they had no money whatsoever. Yeah. And the reason why I bring this up is because that doesn't mean crypto is a bad thing, right? So somebody was doing bad stuff. And what is your message to somebody about crypto? If they're you're if you know you say you help you would like to invest in crypto, maybe other people are thinking about it, but they're thinking about running out the door right now. They're saying crypto, this guy's crazy. Do you see how bad? Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, a few things I could say. What is going on, guys? I just want to take a really quick break from the podcast to remind you that if you're continuing to receive value from the Conscious Wealth Podcast, the absolute best thing that you can do to support us is leave us a quick five-star review and let us know how you're liking the show. I have literally nothing to sell you unless you happen to feel overwhelmingly inspired to join the Level Up Collective, our wealth mastermind, but I will never sell you on that. And honestly, we turn away about 40% of applicants every enrollment period. I started this podcast to give back and share the hidden knowledge that no one seems to be willing to share publicly, let alone share it for free. I'm sure you guys have noticed that we do not do any advertising of other companies on the podcast, nor do we run ads on our YouTube videos, simply because we're playing the long game with this podcast. We truly want to impact millions. If that resonates with you, help us continue to provide you top tier content by rating the show and sharing it with your friends. Thank you so much for the support. Now let's get back to the show. Number one, Warren Buffett's most famous quote of all time related to investing goes something along the lines of, I don't invest my money until there's blood in the streets. So when everyone else is at peak fear is when the sharks smell blood and that's when they like to enter. And if you guys aren't picking up on it yet, all that I do is I study the sharks and then I model them. So I'm not a whale. In the finance world, we call big money whales, right? Because when they enter the pool, there's a big splash. <laughs> that's why they're called whales. Well, I'm just like a little, a little minnow that's swimming, you know, alongside of them. How about a piranha? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm just one of those fish swimming alongside them but I'm watching them and I'm modeling them and I'm studying them and I don't always do what they do, but I'm definitely paying attention to it and always asking myself, why are they doing that? And if you study the best investors of all time, what you'll see is at a super simple level. It's, it's so simple. It's so simple. It's annoying. All they're good at is buying when everyone else is afraid and selling when everyone else is euphoric. That's all they do. They, they just, they don't lose their head. And I'm really good at buying when everyone else is afraid. I'm, I need to improve on selling when everyone else is euphoric. It's hard to tell market tops. So anyway, that's part of it is understanding that big money always invests when there's blood in the streets. And there's definitely blood in the streets right now. So 
do with that what you will. Having said that, is there going to be more blood in the streets? Yeah. So there's no rush, but there is blood in the streets. So uh, starting to deploy is never a bad idea. This is not financial advice, of course. Yeah. So that's a piece of it. And to the person who's kind of scared of crypto and all that, look, this isn't anything specific to crypto in regards to the issue. This is once again, an issue of human nature. Humans are always going to tend towards two extremes, fear and greed, so much so that there's an an economic index indicator that you can use called the fear and greed index. Have you seen that? No, I didn't even know this thing. Yeah. So it's so if you want to keep things extremely simple, like so simple, you'd never even look at a chart or try charting. You can just look at the fear and greed index. And when the when we start to get up, let's say, I believe it's out of 100 when we start to get, say, 70% up, right? So when we're 70 out of 100, it's time to start taking money off the table. 80 out of 100, time to start taking money off the table. And when we're down 10, 15, 20, it's time to load the boat. It doesn't need to be that complicated. Investing is hard because we're not robots, right? We're really emotional and we think this time will be different or I'm different. And that's where we go wrong. <laughs> so... um Yeah. So as far as crypto, this is just an issue of fear and greed. This is what happens when you have unregulated financial markets. And that might sound interesting coming from me because I'm all about uh, freedom and sovereignty. And (laughs) I guess I I think all the political parties are nothing more than entertainment, but I guess you would group me with what they call libertarian. But having said all that, I'm also a capitalist, I'm an investor, and I'm an entrepreneur. And I understand that without regulation, big money, the whales, they aren't touching crypto. Now, you could say, well, they're, they're the ones causing a lot of these issues. Yeah, I understand. But I mean like the real whales, like Saudi money, like trillions pouring in. The Saudis, they won't touch, they won't touch it. People like uh, Ray Dalio, he's barely touching it. So, so a lot of the biggest money in the world, people are confused. They think that retail investors move markets. We don't even phase the markets. All the market moves are, are big money. So if they're not willing to invest in asset classes, then we're not going to get this generational bull run that we're all counting on. So regulation has to happen or they're not going to risk trillions and trillions of dollars on an asset that they already view as highly speculative and extremely volatile. So I think that this this FTX event was the black swan that was needed to um, force, I mean, it was already coming, but force regulation. And unfortunately, because people don't know how to read contracts, it's another realm that we teach on is contract law. People don't know how to read contracts. I can assure you, some of these contracts, some of these um, laws and statutes that they're going to pass as they regulate crypto are going to have some central bank digital currencies and some really sketch shit baked in there, wrapped underneath things that pretty much the majority will agree with and support. And so they'll vote it in and people will be cheering for it. But in the fine print, um, it's probably going to shift us more towards a, a surveillance capitalism. Uh, okay. 
That's that was going to be kind of my uh, wind down question, which is not a really good wind down question. <laughs> yeah, let's wind down and let's, keep you up late at night, unable to sleep. <laughs> but you, so you feel that we're going to be looking at digital currency, the the dollar, paper money gone, and basically they're going to be controlling everything we buy, and they could actually manipulate us, you know, keep us in line, if you will, by turning off the tap when they want to. Is this? generally how you are seeing it too yeah and i want to clarify that for <laughs> as weird as this is about to sound i'm not pessimistic at all yeah <laughs> I, don't, I didn't get the sense you were and that's why yeah. i really did want to ask this question as a wind out question because i think this is the biggest thing on everybody's mind yeah and uh maybe you're the guy maybe you're the guy that people could get some advice so off of on how to navigate what's coming mm -hmm. up so you know i guess if that's the case, can you briefly just tell us, like, you know, why aren't you feeling pessimistic? Yeah. So first off, there's so many uh, lenses through which I could speak to this. I view the world holistically. I think that in any conversation, in any topic, it's important to look at it from every angle. And so one key lens that I see here is the historical lens we talked about. So I've noticed an inverse relationship between those who carry the most fear directly relating to those who study the least history. One of the hardest parts about being human is coping with the fact that we're the only species alive that is aware of its own death coming. So we have this existential angst from the moment where we have an egoic construct around six or seven that we know we're going to die. And I think that we cope with that in very, very unique ways. And one of the most effective ways I've found to cope with that is to study history. It's really easy to project your existential angst, which I just want to clarify because half your listeners right now are like, this dude's off the rocker. That doesn't have anything to do with the question. It does. This is, I've been sitting with myself for eight years. So the things that seem like they make sense at first glance are usually your ego and are usually rationalizations. And when you really get to the root of things, almost everything we do as humans, we do because we're terrified of death. Everything. Mating behavior, capitalism. Why is Elon trying to get us to Mars? He's terrified of death. Why do they want us to merge with AI? We're fucking terrified. Why are we so into anti-aging and makeup and beauty? Because we're fucking terrified to die. So all of that. I, I got to tell you, I I'm getting goosebumps right now because I, I started to realize this about all these people, Bill Gates and everybody. And mm. yes, they're, they want to live the most forever. Scared. Yes. That's why they want to freeze themselves and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And upload their consciousness yeah. to, to a mainframe somewhere. And mm -hmm. And it is, it's, they're on the verge of insanity. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, sorry to interrupt, but um, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you on that, but mm -hmm. please continue with where you were. Yeah. So that's a part of, that's a part of us. That's a part of what it means to be human. It's, you know, we're blessed with this ability to think something, to envision it, and we can use our hands and create it out there. That's an insane gift. But the downside of it is that that same mechanism is why we're aware we're going to die. So there's innate, there's innate suffering in that. And that's where the spiritual practices come in. But I'm going to stay on path. So studying history 
allows us to cope with the unknown. Because right now, today is November 16th, and it's 11.07 a.m. for me. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next week, and I sure as hell don't know what's going to happen next decade. I don't even know if I'll be here. And at an unconscious, like very, at a level most are not aware of, there's an angst to that. There's a tension. There's a clinging. There's a trying to control things. And that is the real reason. So what I'm getting at is that that is the real reason people are pessimistic about the future. They're afraid to die and they're clinging. So we can't have a real conversation about this stuff. It's like, Jeremy, just I asked you about the financial markets. I didn't want to hear all this. I know you don't want to hear this, but it's true. (laughs) So the truth is, and why I'm so big on sitting with yourself, all of our issues in life come back to our own mortality. And if you can start to sit with that, you'll find that the issues in the world aren't that big of a deal. The reason it's so scary when you hear news about Russia and Ukraine, or it's so scary when they shut the world down, is because that is a microcosm reminding you that you could die. Why did COVID traumatize so many people? Why were people wearing three masks looking like an idiot? Because you were reminded, they scared you, that you could die. And that is most people's biggest fear that they refuse to sit with. And so that's a big piece of this conversation. Like, why aren't I pessimistic? Well, because I'm not afraid to die. And let me let me go on to clarify. I don't think I'm going to die. This isn't heading into a bad space. But I needed to walk us through all of that because there's something about life that things don't turn around for us until we surrender. There's something about it. When we try to control our way through life, we create dis-ease, we get stuck, we get angry, we get heavy. But when we can find something, religion, psychedelics, spirituality, love, having a child, something that can allow us to let go and surrender, life gets a lot better. And so I think that that's a big piece of the conversation here is that I've done a lot of work around surrendering and the irony and the paradox that I want to make sure your listeners hear me loud and clear on this because I'm not a kamikaze warrior who's trying to die right now. I'm not. The irony is that because I've sat with that and accepted it, I'm free and I don't feel I'm going to die and there's not fear around that. And that allows me to move in the face of fear and adversity. When a lot of people around me are frozen, like in 2020, that was the best year of my life, financially and spiritually. Because while most people froze and they didn't know what the hell was happening, I had prepared myself for this internally. And so I think that's a really big piece of this conversation here. But to be a little bit more practical, most of the answer outside of that just lies in studying history and understanding that we're ending a regime We're ending a regime in which we are currently, we have been since all the history we talked about since let's say 1900-ish, 1910-ish, right around that time, we've been controlled by the same families. And America is not America, it is owned by Europe. And we're entering a space because of the Federal Reserve that they set up and everything like that, that it has, it's nearing its end. It's a really old horse. The trick of the Federal Reserve, they're a one-trick pony. It's called quantitative easing. It's not working anymore. 
It's not working. They just printed 40% of our monetary supply ever. I heard it was 60. It was, so in I'll, a I'll go year, by you. I'll go by you. Yeah, no, in a year, it was just over 40. It was like 41 or 42% in 12 months. Okay. Since, but think about when it was created. So 40% over a 100-year time span is insane. And so they printed that. And less than 18 months later, we're in a recession. Right. <laughs> that money <laughs> didn't really help. We went up and straight back down. So we're nearing the end of a macro business cycle. We're nearing the end of a global power regime. We're nearing the end of the Fed working very effectively. And we're also, this overlaps perfectly with the fourth turning. And that's why it's like what you were talking about earlier. I like to look at things through a lot of different perspectives. And when they start to all tell me the same story, something starts to go off in my head that's like, all right, you need to go deeper into this. And I try to find perspectives to prove it wrong. And it's been really difficult to find perspectives that don't overlay with all, all roads are leading to, you know, a systemic change. And that might be a change in world order. I don't think that we're there quite yet, but we are starting to see Russia and China and India rise up as contenders, but I don't want to go into that. But I do think on a monetary and control lens, I don't know if the Fed will cease to exist in the next decade or two. A lot of people are now aware, even if they're not aware of the rabbit holes of like Jekyll Island and all that. A lot of people are aware that this institution and its sole goal is supposed to be to keep inflation at an average of 2% a year. This organization is horrible at its job. And it's one trick quantitative easing doesn't work anymore because we're nearing the 100-year macro cycle where they've printed, they printed, they printed, they printed. The dollar is so devalued that the trick doesn't work anymore. It's not the same. It's like your 200th time smoking weed or something versus your first. It's just not the same. You're chasing that original high and it's never going to be the same for you. So we're addicted in that same sense. You know, wrapping all of that up, I think if you can wrap your head around the fourth turning theories, you look at where we're at in terms of historical timeline and you realize the Fed was created just over a hundred years ago. You see that their tricks, they're not working anymore. You see that global mis or sorry, societal mistrust is at peak levels, right? Polarization between the left and the right is at peak levels. Mistrust in the mainstream media is at peak levels. I mean, we saw the Capitol stormed because they didn't believe that the that the counting the ballots was correct. That's the level of mistrust we're at. That is a fourth turning right there. And fourth turnings are real rocky and they usually end in a civil war or a type of war or a revolution. And I mean, if you look around, it kind of seems like we're we're in the midst of a, of a serious revolution. But uh, the last thing I'll lay in there is if you can kind of start to see like, yeah, I kind of could see that the Fed kind of ceasing to exist. If, I mean, its sole purpose is it's just supposed to loan the government money and it's supposed to do its job well enough to where we have stability and balance around 2%. We don't have stability. It's volatile as shit. <laughs> they send us on these crazy greed runs and then they send us on these depressionary things that fuck people up. And I think they're tired of having that. And so I think the the master plan is pivoted to... I think they might sell out the Fed and kind of present themselves as this white horse, right? Try to come in on the white knight and be like, 
here's the real solution. We're going to do away with the Fed and everyone's going to, yeah, cheer, right? Because that, think about it, all of a sudden that'll make the government seem trustworthy. They'll like could potentially demonize the Fed, even though they're, they're part of it. And then showcase the central bank digital currencies as the solution and everyone will cheer and vote it in. I think that that's a, one of my like five probable outcomes. Okay. Yeah, I was, that's a, that's a good one. And I think that sounds very right on the money. And what I've been thinking all along myself has been that things are just going to get so bad. They're going to offer a solution and everybody's just going to dive on it. Yeah. Because they want to get out of the hellhole that they're in. They're, everybody's just going to be very uncomfortable and, and scared. And like you said, they're going to play on people's fears and they're going to sign up and there's not going to be any pushback. And isn't it ironic that the Federal Reserve was originally created? At least this is what they said. I guess this is how they sold it to the public. They were tired of the boom and bust cycles that yeah. were going on and they were like this is going to fix that and it ended up down the line boom and bust cycles anyway yeah which is interesting and uh, maybe this would be a, a good topic for a, f- a future podcast that you could do i don't know but the natural order of way things work right they here comes man saying, well, we don't like boom and bust cycles. We're going to intervene and we're going to be smarter and we're going to manipulate, turn the dials, flip the levers. And in the end, no matter how hard they try to steer this ship, it just goes right back to boom and bust regardless. Yeah, you can't change human nature. That's what it is. It's It's too overriding. So we are potentially looking at the possibility of losing more and more freedom, especially if they go to this digital bank currency. But human nature maybe will prevail in the long run because people will start to yearn for their freedom again and something will change. We can only hope, right? Yeah. So I I highly encourage all of any listeners who are still listening or still watching thus far that enjoyed the conversation. The Fourth Turning is an extremely short book. You could even get it on audiobook, which is what I did. I've listened to it a number of times because it's loaded, but very quick read. I highly encourage that, especially for anyone with any degree of angst about the future. Uh, there's, you know, characteristic traits of a Fourth Turning, and, you know, they're not comfortable. Things get a little sketch, but they're necessary. The same way a winter, you know, is when storms happen and it's gloomy and the sun goes away and it's cold and it sucks, but that brings spring and everyone loves spring, but they hate winter, but there's no spring without winter. And this goes back to exactly it. People are so disconnected from natural and universal laws that we try to create these vacuums in life and it, it just doesn't work. So we have to go through what we're going through right now. And on the other side a first turning. Well, I want you to think about the 60s. That was a first turning, just so you understand. I wasn't alive for that. Uh, My parents were, but um, that was what acid was legal for multiple years. That was the creation for anyone in the spiritual space. That was when Ram Dass and, and Timothy Leary became known. That was the free love movement. That was Woodstock. And that was all of that. And so that was a hell of a peaceful, prosperous time to be alive. But then, you know, it only lasts for a period of time. And then we go into other cycles. And so we just so happen to be in a hell of a cycle right now. But on the other side of a fourth turning is always 
a first turning. So it's not, yeah, I don't, from that lens as well, I don't, I don't view it apocalyptically. I think that, yeah, there's going to be things that for citizens that don't understand that they don't have rights, they have privileges. When you accept being a statutory U.S. citizen, you have privileges. And um, privileges can be like, for example, the money that you got during 2020. That was a privilege. And so you gladly accepted that. But people don't realize what comes with that in the back door when they read the fine print. And um, same thing here. There's probably, like you said, I think that's very likely that they let the economy get to a point where people are really desperate and in a real bad place and then they come out like the savior with some sort of free something or socialist something yeah i do think that that's likely and when they accept that which they will just like they did during 2020 everyone talks shit about the government but they'll they'll give me that card (laughs) there are things that come with that that you may not understand contractually so for me personally i don't contract with the united states corporation when they send me for whatever reason, whether it's free money or a card or whatever, it gets cut up and thrown away. If you spend that, you're consenting to some things that you may not realize. So that's a whole other rabbit hole. You know, we don't need to get into that now, but I think there's never been a more important time for financial literacy. There's never been a more important time to learn about the actual history of the system you were born into. And there's never been a more important time to start learning about what are the best potential solutions for, like, like I said earlier, I've narrowed it down to like three to five potential ways they could go preparing simple approaches for, okay, if they do this, I'm going to do this. If they do this, I'm going to do this. It's just like chess or a fighter or something like that. It's just, you got to be playing defense. If you're not playing defense out here, (laughs) you're really not going to like the next few decades. I mean, the rest of your life. (laughs) You're really not going to like the way things are going if you're not playing defense. But I want to clarify that the way I live and the way that we live is a level of freedom most can't fathom. And I'm not speaking like financially, monetarily. That's maybe a lot of people would say, yeah, but that's not realistic for me. But I'm speaking if you study the law and you learn the law. There are ways that you can move. There are things that you can do. There are contracts you can rescind. There are contracts you can declare, put on the record, that remove you from the control and oppression of the United States Corporation. And that is a lot of what I talk about in some of my content, which you alluded to, is we've got the In God We Trust, which is a trust with real clever name. (laughs) They got you us all saluting to it. And directly under that, that owns, right? Because trusts typically own other assets. That owns the United States Corporation. And what does the United States Corporation own? Us. So in a way, you're owned by that little in God we trust that's signified on the back of our our fiat. Yeah, that is incredible stuff. And, you know, anybody listening, you know, check out Jeremy's Instagram real quick go there and see all the the cool stuff he puts up really good stuff very informative um that's where i got most of my questions from i just read your i just went to your instagram and and i was like oh this is something cool to talk about this is something interesting and that would be at official underscore 
Jay Griff, Jeremy Griffin, Jay Griff. Feel free to contact him if you have any questions. And Jeremy, any you know, th- thank you for coming on and taking the time to talk about everything that we talked about. I think it's really important that we have these discussions and know where to turn if we need help, if we need answers. Because I just it, we like you said, it's so volatile now. Just going into the you know, on your like Googling financial guy near me and just getting some guy that does, uh, he, you know, past 40 years, he's just been doing whatever kind of um, <laughs> financial investments and he doesn't tap into the stuff that you're talking about. I think you're just going to be following the path the where the herd is going right off the yes. cliff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you said it yourself. And, and this is what uh, I think everybody can appreciate in my audience, that you're an unorthodox guy, just like the steel mace is an unorthodox fitness tool. That's that's the connection right there. Let's just leave it at that, man. <laughs> cool, Thank man. you for coming on. Uh, feel free to hit me up anytime you want to come back on and, and, and talk shop. I'm always available for conversations about this stuff. Cool, man. Yeah, I'd love to do a part two. This is great. You asked really solid questions. All right, great. Appreciate Thank it. you. Thanks, man. Appreciate all everything that you're doing. Thank you, everybody, awesome, for brother. listening. And we'll see you at the next one. Bye, guys.